Welcome to church, everybody. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe. And uh, I'm excited because today we're wrapping up, like Stephen said, the series that we've been in, Life Bombs. And uh, we've spent some time talking about failure and talking about fear and talking about fury. And this morning, we're talking about this idea, this area of faking it. Each of these areas of our lives, if we don't actually address them and deal with them, they have the ability to uh, destroy and detonate in our lives and impact every other area as well. And so uh, I want to start this morning by asking you a question, okay? Have you ever tried to be someone that you're not? Yeah? (laughs) Think about it. Have you ever tried to be someone that you're not? And I'm not just talking about like this week, I know it's Halloween and we're all going to dress up and try to be someone that we're not. But like really think about it. In life, have you ever gone through seasons where you've tried to be somebody that you're not? Like I know I have. I've gone through many of those seasons. In fact, when I was growing up, like many uh, kids, uh, I thought that all of my identity and purpose was wrapped up in my sports and my hobbies and the things that I could try to do. I thought like in order to be cool, you got to be athletic. And so I tried to be athletic and um, I, I thought like it was the cool thing to play soccer. And so I remember I began to start playing soccer and then I realized like I'm way too slow for this. I'm just way too slow. My friends started playing baseball, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. And I get out there, and I realize I'm way too ADD for baseball. I'm just like (laughs) all over the place. I I thought like, okay, well, maybe it's a cool thing like to be a skater. And so I was like, I'm going to be the next Tony Hawk, and and I'm going to like be that cool like skater kid. And then I realized I'm not rebellious enough to be a skater kid. Like that's just not who I am. And then I was like, I'm going to be LeBron James. I love basketball. I'm the next LeBron James. And clearly that didn't work out. I got some limitations, right? And, and uh, man, I've gone through so many of those seasons. And there was this brief season, though, where I went through this stint where I thought that I was going to be a professional football player. Yes, I know. Yeah, exactly, right? You see, y'all ever heard of the game, the video game Madden? And uh, me and my friends, we got into Madden. And just like all video games, it inspires you to like, kind of like do, like you're like, oh, it can't be that hard. Like, yeah, I can do that, right? And so I was like, I'm going to be the next Terrell Owens. I'm going to be the next Randy Moss. And, and uh, so I was like, I'm going to be a wide receiver. And, and that's who I'm going to be. But there's just a few problems with that. One, my physical limitations. Two, like I've never been the confrontational type. I've never been the person that's like, oh, I want to pick a fight with a stranger. Let's go right now. Like, that's not me. I'm not the guy at sleepovers it's like, hey, you know what we should do? Let's wrestle. Like, that's not me. I've never been the big, tough, strong guy. I, I, that's just not part of my identity. But this one day, me and my friends decided that we were going to act out exactly what we'd been doing in Madden, and we're going to play a little backyard football. Y'all ever play backyard football before? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I see. And usually what we would do is we'd play two-hand touch because we ain't trying to get hurt, you know? And, but but uh, this time was a little bit different because this time we had an audience, We had an audience see uh, Chelsea Reed and her cute uh, friends from down the road had decided to come and watch us this afternoon. And so uh, I was trying to impress. I was trying to be someone I wasn't, clearly wasn't created to be. And I was trying to impress her and all of her friends. And so uh, we start to play. And uh, this this time, this afternoon, this one October afternoon, we decided we're going to, you know, play tackle instead of two-hand touch. No pads, no helmets, just good old tackle football in the backyard. And so we're smashing each other, guys. We're just smashing each other into the ground, one after another, until uh, Brandon's mom gets home. 
Now we're playing football in Brandon's backyard and his mom got home and she stepped outside on the back porch and she saw what we were doing. And so she yells out from the back porch, y'all better cut that out. Y'all better cut that out, that tackling stuff before somebody gets hurt. Mom's in the room. You said that before. You've spoken those words. Yeah, yeah. And so like any good uh, little uh, fifth grade boys, we were like, yes, ma'am. Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. We're down one. One more play. One more play for the win. And so I gather my crew and we line up and my friend Mario hikes the ball and he steps back and he throws it and I'm running down the middle and I catch the football and I'm running and I'm heading towards the end zone, which is really a fence that I'm trying not to run into, but there's a tree that's kind of marking where I'm supposed to go. And so I'm running, I think I'm good. Then all of a sudden, one of my really good friends, Devante, he comes running up out of nowhere and Devante went to play college football, okay? It gives you a little perspective. And Devante's charging at me and he comes and he just wham, flattens me. I fall backwards. Keep in mind, I don't play football, so I don't know how you're supposed to fall. And so I put my arm backwards to brace myself. And as I put my arm back, I hear this snap. Yeah, yeah. And I look down and my arm that was once straight is now a reverse L and my hand is down here and broken and half compound fracture. And I don't care about being cool anymore. I'm not trying to impress. I realize I wasn't a good football player. And in that moment, what I do, what do I start to do? I go, mom, I need my mom. Guys, I'm not kidding you. 15 minutes, I'm yelling for my mom. I don't stop till she gets there. It was crazy. It was a lot of pain. And for me that day, like trying to be somebody else, it cost me a lot. It cost me a whole lot of pain. It cost me uh, uh, one, a broken arm, two, an ambulance ride. It cost me my favorite t-shirt that cut my t-shirt in half. It cost me two surgeries, four casts. It cost me missing a lot of school and I never got to go out with Chelsea. <laughs> it was rough. But see, I realized something when looking back through these seasons of my life where I've tried to be someone I clearly wasn't created to be. I think it's because so much of my life I've spent only thinking about the areas of my life that I don't measure up. I've, I've spent so much of my time and so much of my life saying, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not good enough. I'm never gonna be who I wanna be. So you know what, I'm just gonna try to be somebody else so insecure about who God had created me to be. And so if I can't fully be confident who I am, I'm gonna try to fake it and be somebody else. And I'd venture to say, like, I'm not alone in this. You've been there. We've all been there, right? We've all gone through seasons of our life where we've tried to be someone else. Maybe it didn't cost you your favorite t-shirt, but, but maybe it cost you something. Lost friendships or relationships because you were unsure of who you were, so you tried to be someone else and not faking it, it cost you something. And faking it like, doesn't just cost us like, uh, injuries and things like that, but oftentimes like, we're willing to fake it no matter like, the financial cost too. Think about the things that you do just to try to look like somebody else. Like you see those pictures and, and you're like, man, I need to get that shirt. And so I'm gonna try to be like them. I'm gonna get that shirt. I'm gonna get those sweet kicks. Like I am gonna spend whatever the cost is to get my hair looking fresh. I'm gonna change my shades of color. Like whatever that looks like, we spend money to try to be somebody else. We also like give our time to try to be other people too. Can you say uh, tennis or golf clubs? 
You join these clubs to try to fit into a certain social circle, even if you don't like the sport and don't like the people that you're with. But it's all about keeping up with the Joneses is faking it till we make it, fake it so we can fit in, faking it so that we can have people around us that maybe build up our confidence, try to be other people. Can you say social media? Think about social media now more than ever before. The struggle is so real to try to be someone that you're not. Why? Because every single time you pull out your phone and you scroll through Instagram, you scroll through Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, even YouTube, what? You're comparing everyone else's best to your worst. You're comparing everyone else's highlight reel to your everyday and you're wondering why things aren't measuring up and, and well, if this isn't how my life is, I wanna be like theirs, so I'm gonna try to be like them, that person, that thing. Can you say Pinterest, right? Like you see on Pinterest, all of these, these pictures of these beautiful manicured lawns and then you start a project that you never should have started that costs you way too much money, getting real. And, and, uh, and you see these pictures of these beautiful elaborate cakes and pies and you just think like, oh, that's gotta be easy. And God clearly hasn't given you the gift of cooking, but like you're gonna try it anyways. And so what do you do? You try to make this thing or do this thing and then it never turns out quite like the picture. You're like, dang, what did I miss? What did I do wrong? And that's the thing that when we try to be someone that we're not created to be, what it leads us to do things that we weren't created to do. And we go places we weren't supposed to go either. And we make decisions that we weren't supposed to make. And little by little, this desire in our hearts and our minds where we're insecure about who we are, we wanna be someone else, it slowly but surely is like bombs going off in our lives over and over and over. And it's not just a you and me problem, it's a we problem. It's something we've all been wrestling with since the very beginning. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning, when God created everything that you and I see in Genesis 1, everything that we see creates the world, and then he creates Adam, and he creates Eve, the first human beings, and he creates them. And we see in Genesis 1, 27, this is what he says about them then. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see here in this story, in this narrative, what happens is God creates the first human beings and he breathes identity into them. He creates them in his image. They're given instant identity, instant purpose as well. What does he do? He tells them who they are, and then he says, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply. Guys, that's a great command. That's a really good command right there. Like, he says, go ahead, be fruitful, and multiply, and then what I want you to do too, I want you to rule. I want you to reign. Here's the earth. Go ahead and take care of it and build and create and dream. And they've got all of this before them, identity and purpose. But then what happens just a few chapters later, a few words later, is we see that the enemy, also known as Satan, the devil, comes into this story and he begins to go after Adam and Eve's identity. 
and cause them to forget and to question everything that they already were. See, look at this in uh, Genesis 3, 5. It says the, the enemy, Satan, is talking to them. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, he's talking about when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one thing that God told Adam and Eve not to do is, hey, do whatever you want. Don't eat from this tree. We've got a great thing going on. I've given you everything. Just don't eat from this tree. And so Satan comes in to tempt them. And he's trying to tempt them. He knows if he can get them to question who they are, he can get them to do what he wants them to do. So he says, for if you eat, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Guys, this is crazy. They were already like God. Have you ever thought about that? Adam and Eve were already like God. God said, I'm creating you in my image, breathing life into you. They're already like God, but what does Satan try to do is he places this thought in their mind that who you are isn't enough. Like, are, is that really who you are? Is that really who you are, Adam and Eve? Like, are you really like God? Because you're missing out on something. God's holding out on you. He's holding out his best. You're missing something. Don't trust him. Don't believe him. And all of a sudden, they begin to question who they are. And as they question who they are, they do what God had commanded them, begged them not to do. And in that very moment, what happens? Sin enters the world. This perfect relationship that they had with God was broken. And all of a sudden, where they, had, where they once had joy and peace and freedom and life and everything at their fingertips, now all of a sudden comes rushing in hurt and pain, deception and lies, struggle and strife. Shame. Shame. See, everything that Adam and Eve went for in that moment caused them to forget everything about who God had created them to be. And in this moment, as they break this relationship, they now feel this shame and this guilt as they've questioned who they are. And so then they run and they hide. They run and they hide. And that's what shame causes you to do. I'm ashamed of who I am. And so I'm gonna run and hide and try to be somebody else. Have you ever been there? Maybe it's hiding behind titles or hiding behind success or hiding behind money or hiding behind achievement, hiding behind accolades, whatever it looks like. We're hiding behind certain things because we're ashamed of who we are and what we've done. And in this moment, that's what's happening in this narrative. And so they run and they hide. And that's what trying to be someone else leads you to do is it leads you to begin to question everything about who you are and everything about who God has called you and created you to be. See, I believe ultimately that we strive to be someone we're not because deep down we struggle to believe that God loves us for who we already are. That's what Satan did for them. He wanted them to question, does God really, he's holding out on you. Does God really have what's best for you in this moment. He's holding out. Does he really love you for who you are? And so we listen to these lies crafted to destroy our identity and we forget the very words that God has spoken to us. Have you ever been there? Where you have begun to believe lies about who you are? And you hear these words and these vo this voice that just begins to speak over and over. Fathers, dads, fellows in the room. Have you ever heard the lie 
from the enemy that says, hey, you know what? You're never gonna be the dad that you've always wanted to be. You're never gonna measure up to your father. You're never gonna be the dad that your brother is to his kids. You're never gonna be as successful as you hope to be. So go ahead and try to be someone else. You're never gonna be the husband you hope to be too. And so why don't you go ahead and just, you know, retreat a little bit. And as we try to be someone else, what does it lead us to do is to run and to hide. And so rather than try to be the man that God has called us and created us to be and leading and loving and serving our families, what do we do? We step back because we're scared and we don't wanna wrestle with that. We don't wanna mess things up. And so I'm just gonna step back in shame and guilt and hide. We hide in our careers. We take jobs that we never thought we would take because we're struggling with who we are. So we'll try to be someone that we swore we'd never be, make deals and decisions that we said we would never do. And we, all of a sudden, through over small decisions over time, we begin to lose who we are as we live these lives pretending to be somebody else. Wondering like, am I gonna be find out? found out? Am I going to be found out for like the poser that I am, the imposter that I am as, as I'm really not as funny or as cunning or as creative or as smart as everybody thinks, but I've lived this life long enough. Like I just got to keep it going. And we're scared because we know we're wondering if we have what it takes. And we know that at some point someone is going to find out that we're not enough. And we hear lie after lie after lie speaking into our minds and changing how we live. Women, ladies, maybe you've heard the lie over and over again that you are not worthy to be loved, that you are not fill in the blank. You're not the mother that your mom was to you. So it causes you to try to be somebody else. You see your, your friends' kids and that they're not struggling and that they fit in and that they're doing great in school and you see yours that are failing and struggling, all this, and you think it's all your fault. I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not enough. You begin to see other people get the job that you wanted and you begin to see other people as they compromise their character or whatever to rise and to rise and, and, and you're wondering, but like, I, like, do I have what it takes? Like, I, that's who I wanna be. And you have this dream and you have this calling, but then all of a sudden you hear these lies, you're not enough, you're never gonna measure up. And so then you give that up. And you say, okay, I'll settle for something else. I'll step back and, and all along you're just hearing lies and you're giving in and, and you wanna be wanted and you wanna be seen and, and it drives you to then use social media to fill that gap. To fill that gap because you don't look the way that you once looked and, and so now every, you're, you're relying on everyone else to build you up. And you're struggling and striving, wanting to be fought for, wanting to be seen, wanting to be known, wanting to feel worthy, wanting to feel enough. But it's hard when you're hearing lie after lie after lie over and over again. And that's what the enemy does. That's how he fuels this idea, this area of faking it in our lives, lie after lie. Because he knows if he can get you to question who you are and want to be someone else, it's over. See, that's even how Satan tempts Jesus. Do you know the story as Jesus begins his ministry and uh, before he goes off, what he goes for 40 days in the wilderness and in the wilderness at the end, he's, he's struggling, he's really hungry. And what does the enemy do? He comes to try to tempt him, to try to trick him. 
And so the enemy, Satan, the devil is speaking to Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, if you are the son of God, if, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And again and again, he, question, he tries to get Jesus to question who he already is. He says, if you are, if you would do this, then I'm going to give you all this power and I'm going to give you all this authority and you're going to be able to do these great things. And like, just so you know, like, he already had all the power. Jesus already had all the authority. Jesus already had all the honor. He didn't need anything from Satan, but Satan knew if I can get him to question who he is, if I can get him to question who he is, I can get him to do what I want him to do. And lie after lie after lie, we hear from the enemy. And time after time, he's trying to get us to change. He's trying to get us to forget. And little by little, there's this bomb trying to be assembled in our hearts. And it can wreak havoc in every single area if we give in. See, if you notice in this story, what Satan or Jesus, he doesn't respond the same way that Adam and Eve did. Jesus responds a completely different way. As he hears lies, what does he do? He begins to speak words that have been spoken by his father. He begins to speak words of life where he's hearing lies. He begins to stand on God's word. He begins to stand in his identity and who God's called him to be. And so as he's hearing lies from the enemy, he's like, I got words flowing of life from my father and I'm gonna speak them out and remind myself of who God is and who he's created me to be. And so that's what he does. And church, if we want to be the men and women that God has created us to be, that's what we have to do. You know, the remedy for trying to be someone you're not is remembering who God says that you already are. That's the remedy. That's the solution. That's how we figure it all out. If we're trying to be someone else, all we got to do is begin to remember who God says that we are and stand on his promises, stand on his word, stand on the life that he's breathed into each and every one of us. As he said, you're created in my image. That's why we're so passionate here about this book right here, the Bible. That's why we believe it's so powerful. Why? Because it's God's words spoken into our lives that when we feel like we're not enough, he says, you know what? You are more than a conqueror in Jesus. In Jesus, he has so many words that he's spoken over us that can give us confidence and boldness no matter where we are and no matter the lies that we're hearing. It's crazy. Look at some of these words that he speaks to us. He says this right here. He says that you are a son or a daughter of God. That's who you are. You know what it means to be a son or a daughter of God? The king of the universe. It means he's not going to give up on you. He's not going to let you struggle all alone and leave you alone and far off and distant. It means he's going to come near like a loving father that cares for his children. I think about there's nothing I wouldn't do for my son nothing. He says, there's nothing that's going to separate you from me. It's crazy. Everything that we are needs to flow out of these words right here. You're my son and daughter. And then he says, you are known. Even when you feel like you're not known, you are known. I see you. You are alive in Jesus. You are a masterpiece, a masterpiece. Think about the masterpieces that we see, these elaborate paintings and works of art. That's who he says that you are. He says, you are strong. He says that you are not alone. I'm never going to leave you just like we just sung about. He's always with us. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. He continues, you are chosen. You are loved. You 
are loved. See, what's so important about us filling our minds with these words right here is because when you know who you are, it doesn't matter what you're not. When you know who you are, it doesn't matter the lies that you hear that say you're not enough and you're never going to measure up. You know who you are. You can stand confident and secure in who God has created you and God says that you are. It can change everything. It can change your entire story, your entire career, your, the way that you parent, the way that you lead, the way that you love, the way that you serve, everything about you. If we would remember who God says that we are. There's this powerful story in Luke chapter 15, one of my most favorite stories that Jesus tells. And Jesus starts this story off and he says these words. He says, he begins to share the story. He says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to him, said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And I want to pause for a second because in this story, as I began to read this story through the lens of what we're talking about, it began to change how I saw this story completely. Because I never thought about it before, but this is the younger son. Think about the baggage that comes with being the younger sibling. Younger son, younger daughter, of trying to measure up to your older brother, of trying to be as smart as them, be as talented as them, win your parents' approval like they have. And you're scared and you're nervous and you're insecure, like, am I ever going to measure up to them? And I wonder if in this story, the son, what he was really doing was crying out saying, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. And so I'm going to go and try and be somebody else. And I need some money to do that. And so, Dad, give me all the money that's coming to me. And he goes off into a far country. You know what the far country is? It's really just the place that you go when you're trying to be somebody else. When you're trying to fake it. I'm going to go off to the far country, distance myself, run and hide far away. And so that's what he does. He leaves. And in that moment, he then spends all that he had, squanders his inheritance and reckless living. And the story continues. It says, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Guys, clearly he had forgotten who he was because he's in need and he knows his dad loves him. But yet in this moment, rather than returning to the father that has called him son, what does he do? He hires him out, himself out to another man that would call him servant trades this identity and now he's in the fields feeding pigs, which for a Jew in that day would have been detestable, not heard of. Why would he do that? That is so low. And then to go even lower, he's eating the food that the pigs are eating. Like how sad, humiliating, disgusting that is. And that's where this boy is. Feeding pigs in this field, questioning all that he is and all that he has done. 
But then the story continues and it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. When he came to himself, guys, that's powerful. Light bulb goes off. He came to himself. He discovered, he was reminded of who he is. All of a sudden his identity is coming back to him. Wait, 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 wait. He's, notice how he says, my fathers. He remembers their wait, my dad. Even his servants have so much and I have nothing. And in this moment, everything changes for the boy because he now realizes, oh my gosh, my dad is out there. I gotta go get to my dad because it's with my dad that I can be reminded of all that I am. And so he goes and he runs towards his father and let's see what happens. He says, when he arose, he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. If you can picture with me in this moment, this beautiful image that's happening right before our eyes of, of this son who had run off and lost everything and basically told his dad, I wish you were dead. Let me go be who I want to be. See you later. But then he realizes light bulb goes off. Oh my goodness, my dad, he loves me. I'm going to go to him. And so he's running to his dad. And, and as he's running to his dad, his dad had already been running to him. His dad was already coming to him running after him, which is so powerful because in this day for a dad, for a man to even run, that would have been crazy, ludicrous. He could have uh, tripped over his dress. He could have risked exposing his legs, everything. It would have been wild, crazy, but he's running. And more than that, most scholars believe that, that as the dad's running out there, it's not like he saw the son coming down the driveway. No, the father goes outside the city to meet his son outside the city because he knew that for his son to come back to his hometown, where everybody had heard about all that he had done, where everybody knew of all of his mistakes, where he would feel so much shame and regret, what does he do? He runs out to get the son before he could get to the city to, to save him, to rescue him from that. See, in the culture of this day, there's this ceremony known as the kazaza, the kazaza. And what the kazaza was, it was a ceremony that would be performed that any time a Jew would go off and squander, ruin their life essentially with Gentiles, non-Jews, they would, as they returned home, they would, be, they would go through what is known as the kazaza. It was a ceremony in which all of the men would stand before the boy and the boy would stand there in shame and in guilt and regret. And the people would then take this huge clay pot and this pot represented their life and all that they had done and, and everything in it and all that they had, had, had been given for their lives. And, and, and what they would do is they would take this pot before the boy and they would smash it on the ground. Broken to pieces before the boy's feet. And this symbolized then in that moment, this relationship broken. And they would yell out, you are no longer worthy. And then they would turn their backs 
and walk away, never to speak to them, invite them back ever again. So for that son, the younger son to have went off and did what he did, it would have cost him everything. His family, his friends, entire community, his status, everything. And the father knew if I can get to my son before he gets to the city, I'm gonna save him from being cut off. I'm gonna rescue him from his shame. I'm gonna risk shame in myself so that I can rescue my son from his shame. I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna get to him. I'm gonna save him, I'm gonna bring him in. Yes, and I am gonna call him mine. And that's what the father does. He goes and he gets his son and, and that's the same picture that we see with the story of the gospel too. What that God had sent his son to earth, to walk the earth he created and to step on a cross, to take a cross, to pay for sin he never committed, to stand in my place and to stand in your place so that we could have a relationship with God, be, be, be forgiven for our sin, be forgiven and freed from our shame through believing and trusting in Jesus and be called sons and daughters. As he stretches his arms open wide, it says, come home. And what's amazing about this story is the story doesn't end there. The story continues. We see that it says that, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. In this moment would have been just game changer for these people to hear this story from Jesus that this dad, this father would welcome the son back and he puts shoes on his feet, which have, would have been symbolic for saying, everything that you wrecked has now been restored. You're no longer a servant. I'm giving you shoes. You're now my son. And what does the father do? He doesn't just restore who he was, but what does he do? He elevates him, lifts him into a new position, a new status with the father. He puts the best robe around him, covers him, Wow, how powerful. We have been covered by the blood of Jesus. God has covered us. And then he puts a ring on the son's finger. He's elevated him to now this new relationship with the father. That's what God does for you and me. He comes to make us new. That in Jesus, it doesn't matter who we're not. It doesn't matter where we don't measure up. It doesn't matter our shortfalls and our failures and the times that we've just felt so much shame that we run and hid. No, in Jesus, he says, in Jesus, you are everything I've created you to be. In Jesus, I'm making you new. In Jesus, the new that you are is the you that you're supposed to be. In Jesus, I've given you a new identity. I've restored what's been broken. I've given you something new and fresh and free. And that's what the Father does for the Son. And that's what He's doing for you. And that's what He's doing for me. God's Word even tells us that anyone in Christ Jesus, anyone in Jesus is a new creation. That's who we are doesn't matter who we're not. Anyone in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Man, how beautiful is that?
that that's how God sees us, even when we can't seem to see ourselves that way. That's the identity that God speaks into each and every one of our lives. That it doesn't matter who I'm not, when I know who I am, when I know who God says that I am, when I know whose I am as well, that he is calling me son and daughter, can change everything about who we are and how we live. Let's close our eyes for just a moment. I believe that this morning that God had a word for me and he had a word for you and each one of us in this room. And I believe that there are many men and women in this room that just been running. Maybe you're here this morning, you've just been running from God. Maybe you've been full of shame for things that you've done in your past and you've let your failures cripple you and your fears hold you back. And, and this morning you just needed to be reminded that God loves you and he sees you and he's calling you son and daughter. I just wanna give you a moment just to pray and talk to God and just ask him to restore your identity this morning and who he's created you to be that you would no longer try to fake it, no longer try to be somebody else. And you may be here this morning as well, and you may be sitting here and, and you would say that for your whole life, maybe you've been running for, from a relationship with God. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus because you've been scared. You thought he's just mad at you but now you're hearing that he's a loving father who just wants to welcome you home and, and now it's changing everything in your heart and how you see him and how you see yourself. And maybe this morning you just needed to hear that he's inviting you. He's inviting you to step into the identity that he has created you for, to be a son and daughter. And so if that's you this morning and you wanna step into a relationship with Jesus for the first time, I just wanna challenge you in this moment to pray this prayer how, and I'm gonna pray and you can either pray exactly how I pray or maybe in your own words and just pray this to yourself. God, I am sorry for running. God, I'm sorry for how I've let sin separate me from you. Will you forgive me of my sin, God? I wanna be made new in you. Jesus, I believe you stood in my place. I believe you died for me and I believe you rose. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. God's word tells us that as we confess those words, that he comes and breathes life into our hearts, to our lives, gives us a new identity, a new status, new purpose. He brings us to life in him. And in Jesus, now your eternity is secure. Your soul is safe. You've now found hope in him and purpose and life. And so if that's you this morning, you prayed that prayer for the first time. Everyone's eyes are closed, but I just wanna ask that you'd be bold and that you would do something in this moment to mark the moment. So I wanna ask that you would just raise your hand, that you would raise your hand on the count of three and you would say, that's me, I prayed that prayer. So if that's you here today, will you raise your hand? One, two, three. 
If you're believing and trusting in Jesus for the first time this morning and you want to be called a son and daughter, step into that new identity, amen. God sees you, he sees you, he knows, he's here. Amen, praise Jesus. God, as we're standing here, sitting here in this moment, God, will you continue just to remind each of us of how you love us and for how you called us and you've created us and you've fashioned us, each and every one of us with purpose and with calling and with identity. And so God, in this moment, we just wanna sing to you and thank you for who you are and for how you've worked in our lives. Thank you for the hope we have in you, Jesus. And everybody prayed and Jesus, everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, in this moment, if that was you and you raised your hand for the first time, I want to challenge you in this moment to step back to the I raise my hand sign and just let us know that that was you. We'd love to give you resources and what that looks like to walk with Jesus today, tomorrow, and the next day. In this moment, what we're going to do is we're going to begin to stand and we're going to sing and thank God for how he has loved us and shown us um, how just radical his love is for us. So will you stand and let's sing together.